0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Bold. Let's find our Bibles and our sermon outline there, and let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll find that on page 1888 in that book rack Bible in front of you there. Everybody's Bible open, please. We love Scripture. We love to study God's Word here at Neighborhood Church. We're in a series we've called The Harvest. We're considering the ways God desires us to partner with him in his work of electing grace, this relentless pursuit of lost sinners and his sovereign purpose in saving those whom he has chosen. And we're suggesting in this series that there are three phases that the work of salvation takes place in the lives of those that God calls to himself. And just as a little bit of review, we've said that there's a cultivating phase. And the cultivating phase is the work of God in preparing the heart, preparing the heart for the seeds of the gospel. And we've suggested in this cultivating phase so far that one of the ways we cultivate is by prayer. We are intercessors. We ask God for the opportunity to share our faith. We ask God for the opportunity to show our faith We ask God for the opportunity to lead people into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said all through the beginning of this series that it is God who saves, we don't save. We're just partnering with Him in His saving work. And one of the ways we do that is we pray for people. Who's on your list? Who are you praying for? Secondly, last week, Pastor Danny brought a great message on the fact that in the cultivating phase, we're not only praying for people, but we are passionate for lost people. We put lost people first in our lives. Have you found ways of doing that in this past week? Where have lost people come first in your schedule, first on your calendar, first on your opportunity to to reach out? That's that's what we looked at last week. And today we come to this last little part of cultivating, not because there's not more things we could share. We, we just need to kind of keep on track here. We've got a lot of stuff to cover in this series. But today we're going to look at the fact that we do good works. Today we're going to look at what it means to actually partner with God in doing good for others and uh, that, that, I hope, will be a real encouragement to you. But we also said that there's not only the cultivating phase, there's the planting phase. And the planting phase, that's where we're sharing our stories and Scripture. We're sharing what God has done in our lives, and we're sharing Scripture, the Word of God. We're going to be looking at that in the next few weeks ahead. And then lastly, there's this reaping stage. And the reaping stage is where we're actually inviting people into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're just seeing that God does out of that simple invitation bring some to know him. Not everyone, but He He brings some to know Him. So today we learn the importance of engaging in good deeds. This last of a three little part on this idea of cultivation. And and here's what this is about today. This is the, the sermon in a nutshell. We're gonna look today at the reality of how important it is to show our faith before we speak our faith. It's important that we, we show others before we tell others. You remember when you were in elementary school and you had that little thing called show and tell? You remember that? How many remember that? I, personally, show and tell was something I always looked forward to in school because show and tell was kind of a fun way to get to know others. And it was the teacher's device to help kids, little kids, actually get up and talk about things in their life. You see, if they just said, hey, tomorrow, Larry, you're going to get up and tell us something about your life, I would have been petrified if I couldn't do it. But if I could come and bring my little hamster and talk about stories about my little hamster, it made it so much easier. It was easier to show something and then tell about it. Well, the reality when it comes to our faith and getting the gospel out and partnering with God and His amazing work of saving lost people, it's the same way. God is telling us that we need to learn how to show before we tell. Because in the showing, the telling makes a lot more sense. In fact, if you're taking notes, we won't put this on the screen or anything else, but just to write it down in your notes somewhere up in the introduction, if we're going to share the good news, we've got to be the good news. Just write that down. If you're going to share good news, it's important to be good news. And the question that might be asked, a rhetorical question in your own mind, is as you think of the non-Christians, people that don't know Christ, people that have not come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ around us this morning, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, just ask a simple question, do they see our lives as good news? Have we brought any lift to their lives? Have we brought any encouragement to their lives? Have we reached out to help them in any tangible way? And if we can't think of anything that we have ever done or used in our lives to bring some lift into someone's life, can I suggest to you today that we're not being very good showers, even if we're being good tellers? We've got to learn how to show if we're going to learn how to tell. That's the bottom line. That's where we are this morning. So we're going to look at this. It's a simple concept, and it's right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verses 11 and 12. And just follow along as I read this short little section. This is our launch-off place. We're going to be in a few other places of Scripture this morning as well. Now here it is. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Have you ever thought of yourself as an alien? It's a little quiet in here this morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look like an alien. Would you do that? Okay. All right. Now we're moving along. Now we're right at home. Aliens and strangers in the world. To abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls... Now here's, that's the negative side. We need to push away, constantly push away this world of carnality, this world of flesh, this world of temptation that's constantly knocking at our door. Push that away, Paul says, or Peter says. He says, we are living in a world as an alien, as a stranger. We don't belong here. This is not our home. Look at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans, among non-Christians, among those that don't know Christ, that... Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now we're going to come back and take that verse apart a little bit more at the end of the message, but let me just point out a couple of things that are worth mentioning right at the top of it. First of all, notice that he says, live such good lives, live a quality of life, live in such a way that when people see your life that do not know Christ though they accuse us of doing wrong. Stop right there for just a minute. Do you know that we automatically, by our values, by what we believe, automatically we are at odds with the world around us? Anybody feeling that this morning? We all feel that. I am at odds in a moral system that is throwing all values out, all biblical values out. There's no sense of morality in our culture it seems anymore. It's amazing. Talk radio, television is reminding us constantly that if you have a value of morality, a value that says, you know, uh, uh, that I should abstain from sexual moral, sexual activity prior to marriage, I should abstain from a sexual lifestyle outside of a covenant relationship in marriage, Uh, That I I am completely at odds with my culture. I'm even at odds with my culture in terms of the way I define marriage scripturally, biblically. That marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime. I am at odds with my culture on that. And my culture, these are just a couple of little things. We are constantly at odds in our values with our culture. And so our culture... People that are not Christians, that do not understand what it means to follow Christ, are going to accuse us of not only doing wrong, but being wrong. Have you ever felt that way? We are accused all the time of being wrong. And Peter says here, which is so fascinating to me, he says the way you offset all of that is by living in such a way that when they accuse us of doing wrong and being wrong... They will glorify God in the day of visitation. Now that little phrase right there is hard to translate. Some people think what that means is that they'll glorify God when God comes back, the day he visits us, the day in his parousia, the day that Jesus comes back to the world. I don't think that's what Peter's saying. I think what Peter is saying is that they may glorify God on the day he visits And the reason it's hard to translate this is because we're not sure if it's the us there or visits them. In other words, the idea that when God shows up and brings salvation, people say, now I get it, now I understand why you've lived your life this way. And so there's got to be this connection between how I show my Christian life, my Christian faith to those who are opposing me and those accusing me of doing wrong. And the way Peter says that we do that is we live such good lives. So we come back to the point this morning that we do good to others. You know, there's all over the New Testament this reminder to us that we are to live a good life. We are to live a quality of life that brings good to others. In fact, in the book of Titus, and we studied the whole book of Titus not too long ago, we have it on our archives, you can go verse by verse through this book, and seven times in that book, there's a reference to the way Christians ought to be living in terms of doing good for others. Chapter 1, verse 8, elders are to do good for others. This is Titus chapter 1, verse 8. In chapter 2, verse 7, young men are to be known for doing what is good. In chapter 2, verse 14, all believers are to be known to be to being eager to do what is good. While at the same time, it tells us in chapter 1, verse 16 of Titus, that imposters and false teachers and those who reject the truth are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing Anything good. What we are called to as believers in Christ is to be, is to live lives that do good to others. To, to, to do good for others. Doing good brings the music of the gospel to people's ears and hearts. We need to learn how to show before we learn how to tell. And this is where I think most of us have our problem. When it comes to really living a dynamic witness for Christ... We're, we're nervous about saying words, but when we finally get the courage to say words, there hasn't been enough music of the gospel from our lives for people to take us as credible. And so they just want to disagree, you're wrong on this, you're wrong on that, you're wrong on this, and, and so they build up this giant wall. And the way the wall comes down is that we love on people, we give, we support, we, we do good. Good. In, in all ways possible. Now, let me share with you what I think are four reasons why we, should, why we should show before we tell. All right? Four reasons why we should show before we tell. Number one is because our good deeds help identify us as true followers of Christ. True followers of Christ. Our good deeds help identify us as true followers. I mean, the reality is a lot of people do good. And there's, there's kind of a sweeping movement of, you know, Uh, People that want to do good in their communities, do good in the world. And you know, you got Warren Buffett and you got all these great philanthropists and people that are doing good. And that's great, it's fantastic. But Jesus was marked with the quality of his own life. We remember when Peter was speaking to Cornelius, a Gentile, in Acts chapter 10, and he describes the life of Jesus to Cornelius, this Gentile. He says, you remember how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. One of the traits that made Jesus stand out And the trait that makes us stand out is by doing good. But because we live in a world where there are some that see that as a value, it's important that we connect those things in terms of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we do good to others, it's simply a means of helping people identify that we are followers of Jesus Christ. If we'll be careful to to sort of make that link, make that connection in people's hearts. Not too long ago, I was sitting down here in Cafe Four with a, a young couple that I had the privilege of leading to Christ a couple of years ago, and and we were sitting there talking and, and the wife reached over and grabbed my hand as we were there, her and her husband, and she said, she said, Larry, the, the thing that touched our lives, and it's kind of hard to share some of these illustrations this morning, I was sharing this with my wife last night because... I. I'm just trying to give you some illustration to help us see how this works, but believe me, there's a ton of need for me to grow in this area of my own life too. So I'm citing a few examples this morning, but by no means do I feel like I've arrived at this, I'm still learning this, I still realize it every day, Uh, there's a lot of days where I just, I simply don't show what I'm trying to tell people what it means to follow Christ. Are you following me on that? So, but, but, so here, she, we're sitting in Cafe Four, and she reaches over, she grabs my hand, she says, Larry, you were the first person, we, had ra- we were raised in a, in, a, in a religious environment, and we heard about Jesus, and we heard about people that followed Jesus, but you were the first one that we actually saw Jesus working in and through the way you loved us, the way you reached out to us. And I don't want to tell their whole story, but that was a humbling moment for me. It's kind of like when we've heard the expression of, you know, you are a person where I saw Jesus with skin on. And whenever I hear that from somebody, I thank the Lord that he's given me the privilege, as I'm sure you do too, at times the privilege of representing Jesus with the sacrifice we make, with the good that we try to do for people. Whether we're visiting them, whether we're bringing them a meal, whether we're uh, reaching out in some way f- tangibly. Sometimes we can give money to people. We can, we can help in raising their kids. We can watch them, single moms, parents. Look around. There's a world that has tons of needs that are just screaming for help. And when we reach out to people with the love of Jesus, we're saying to people, we are Jesus. We are, we are Jesus followers. We are being transformed by Jesus Jesus. Himself, and sometimes that just turns into amazing opportunities. I remember once I was flying to Seattle and and uh, got, sat next to a man on the plane, and we were talking all the way up there, and just kind of opened up our lives to each other. and And we got to the airport, and we landed. and I said, "Well, you know, nice to meet you." And I, you got a ride. He lived on Woodby Island, which is near Seattle, and he says. Well, I think so, but let me call, and he called. He couldn't get a hold of anybody, and he was a little bit stranded. I said, hey, I'm renting a car. I'm going into Seattle. Why don't you, I'll just take you. And he's like, what? You know, it's like Woodby Island, a whole different direction. No problem. So we get, he fine. That's great. So he comes along with me. We just kept opening up, sharing our lives. I drive him right to his house. He goes, you want to come in for a minute and have a cup of coffee? I said, sure, I'm in no hurry. So we come in, inside talking. just like We're like buddies. we just flying from Oakland to Seattle. And now i got this buddy in my life. And I'm just talking with him, sharing with him, bring him to his house. And at the end of the conversation, he started opening up all kinds of stuff was going on in his life. Tough marriage, a tough job situation. Wasn't sure he's was going to have a job situation. Just opening up, opening up. And he said at the end of this whole thing, he said, man, I, you know, I I need what you've got. I need a relationship with God. I said, well, let's just do that, right? Just prayed right in his living room, had wonderful opportunity to stay in touch with that man for a couple of years afterwards, lost track, don't know where he is right now. But thank God for just a little moment, sometimes a little tangible, "Mm, can I help you with this, opens up a huge opportunity. And you know, God works in our lives when we just let him. So we look around and we say, God, where does this need to happen in my own life? And here's, this is why this identifies us with Christ. It's because when we are selfless, we are, we are never more like Christ than we, when we are truly selfless. Remember in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, uh, you remember Paul says, don't, don't look only for your own interests, but look also for the interests of others. You know, don't think of yourself as more highly than. Than others, but look out for the needs of others. Have this attitude, which was in Christ Jesus, and you remember he goes on, who, although being in the form of, of man, although being God, did not regard himself equality with God, but took on the nature of a servant. And this is what Jesus was, and this is what we become when we are becoming servants to others. Another compelling reason for doing good for others, not only does it identify us with Jesus, but secondly, our good deeds are a direct application of the second greatest command in Scripture. This just gives us an opportunity to practice what Jesus said when he said, this is the first great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two, thirty-nine. You remember in Luke's account of that passage, Luke chapter 10, when Luke records that Jesus said the same thing to this young man. This young man said, wanting to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? You remember that. And so Jesus follows the statement with the story of the good Samaritan, the man who went out of his way to help someone whose need he could meet. And the Samaritan proved to be the neighbor that Jesus wanted this young man to see. Now, when it comes to doing good for others, a few principles can be applied from this story, and the question of who is our neighbors, because we need to think about that too. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So it should be, the question should come to our minds too, who is our neighbor? And I'm going to suggest a couple things here that you might want to think about. And we've said this first one before, and maybe you've remembered it. What if your neighbor was your neighbor? That's, just start right there. What if the people that lived on your street were actually your neighbors? Hello, guess what? They are. They are your neighbor. And Jesus said we should, be, we should love our neighbor as ourself. Our neighbor might be someone that is in immediate proximity to us. Who better to practice being our neighbors than our neighbors? <laughs> Think about this. But neighbors are not always easy to love. We, we sometimes don't want closeness or intimacy with those that are in close proximity to us. You know, we, we love our automatic garage door openers. Or we can just drive into our little suburban neighborhoods and drive into the garage and the garage door can come down and we're just sequestered, we're alone, there's nobody around us. We close the world out. That's, why, that's because when neighbors come around us, come different interests, different preferences, different hobbies, different musical tastes, different food choices, different dress, different hours, different landscape preferences. Or no landscape preferences. Or different parking patterns. Or different, uh, different and numbers of kinds of friends. Are you following me on this? And so we, we sometimes with people who are in proximity to us, we sort of push them away. And we don't really want to do anything with them. But you see, neighbors might be our neighbors. And Jesus said we should love our neighbor as ourself. Which means if we have a difficult neighbor, and by the way, we've said this before too, if you can't think of a difficult neighbor, maybe you're the difficult neighbor. <laughs> Where and how have you shown love to your neighbors? Just question, just think about it right here. Where and how have you shown love? to those who are in immediate proximity to you, people that see you drive in and see you drive out every day of your life. Do you ever go over and knock at the door? Here are some cookies I made. Have you ever done something surprising, random act of kindness? Seen somebody that their yard's getting a little out of control or something because they've had a sick relative, and so you just go over and do it. No pomp, no circumstance, just go and serve. Just go and do something loving. Surprise them with, with washing their car or something. I don't know. Just a touch of love. A way I can help. A way I can show you that you matter to me. And even though you might feel that I'm at odds with you because you know I'm a Christian, hopefully they know you're a Christian. Your neighbors know you're a Christian? Do they know you're a believer? You know, I'm constantly reminded that people look at my life. And, you know, this happens to me quite often, and and it's a real sobering moment. You know, I'm up at the gym the other day, and I meet a guy who I've seen there at the gym before. We've never had a conversation. I've seen him. And so we're just kind of chit-chatting. And then he tells me about a couple that belong to this church and that they're his neighbors. And I'm like, oh, great. And so we're talking about them, the beautiful family, and they've shown love to him, beautiful, all that. And then out of the blue, the guy says, hey, you're the pastor of that church down there at the Three Crosses, aren't you? How did he know that? Word gets out, I guess. I don't know. So immediately I think, okay, I've known this guy for, I don't know how long. I've seen him at the gym. He comes at the same time I go. We've never really hung out or talked or anything. But now I know his name. Now I'm praying for him. And now I'm looking for an opportunity to serve him or do something in his life to partner with A family that lives on his street to show that we Christians, even though we might look like we're in the wrong or that we do wrong, we're going to cancel out perceptions by how we love people and how we care for people and how we reach out to people. So people look at our lives. And if your neighbors don't know you're Christians, then that's the first place you need to start. Not by going necessarily and telling them, but showing them. Secondly, your neighbor might just be someone that knows, that that you see a need that you can meet, that you can do something about. If you see someone that has a need that you can do to help that person, it it might be in that moment, it might be uh, a person that, it might be the homeless person that you see walking on the street. In that moment, that person can be your neighbor because a neighbor is anyone whose need I see, whose need I can meet. Or I can address in some way. It might be the person uh, needing help by the side of the road. How many times do we drive by people who are stranded on the side of the road? Oh, it's scary in this world to pull up. It is scary sometimes. But do do we take those risks? There is risk in following Christ. There are risks that we take. And certainly it should be bathed in prayer and faith. But there should be a sense in which there's here's a need of somebody whose need I can address some way I can be of help you know churches can have a reputation for that too and I'm thankful I was thinking this past week how grateful I am to serve as a pastor in a church that has a reputation and we want to continue to grow in this reputation of there's a place where people who are hurting can get help and I told you last Sunday about this young family this young 36 year old woman who died of a brain aneurysm suddenly she's the wife of a of a firefighter in Alameda County fire and we we hosted the service for that family up here on Thursday. And some of you, I saw some of you came. You came as intercessors. You were praying. Some of you came and helped in the kitchen or you just came up to serve. And there, this whole auditorium was full this past Thursday morning with a family that was in deep and enormous and unceasing grief in their hearts. But there's this place became a place of refuge. It became a place of love and reaching out and we It was just amazing. And I don't know, two, three hundred firefighters that were here that once again were reminded that this is a place where we serve, we serve our community. And the the father of this dear young lady called me on Friday and just with tears in his eyes said, I I can't put into words how loved we felt, how comforted we felt. And I'm meeting with that man this week. He says, I I just got to come and talk to you. I'm looking forward to that meeting. But that's because the music of the gospel goes out. The, the, the beauty of, of sharing and loving without strings, with just saying, we care, we want to reach into your lives. It's like our cross streets ministry that just is constantly reaching out and touching people's lives as a reminder to them that they matter to God. They matter to God. In fact, I met someone not too long ago out in our lobby after a Sunday morning service and they said, you know, we were a little shy, we came up to neighborhood church and And it's a big place and to be honest, my wife here, she didn't want to come and I was a little leery because big churches tend to be about big business and and it's just all the big, 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 you know, warehouse mentality and one size fits all And, and we were a little skeptical. But we came and we listened and the message touched our hearts and then we started hearing about some of the things and we have to tell you, Pastor, when we heard about the Cross Streets ministry, all our perception of Neighborhood Church just just eroded before us. Because here's a church that reaches out to people who are the down and out People who are looking to find their way back into life, into the mainstream of life, into a place of integrity and wholesomeness, into a place where they can be encouraged with the way their life is and going, and we put resources to that. And that just touched us, and that's why we're here, and we are just so in love with what God is doing in our midst and through this church, and, and you, couldn't, you couldn't crowbar us out of this place. I said, praise God. Praise God. That's awesome. I wish everybody understood that. And does that mean that we've arrived? No. We, I'm, I'm speaking to a congregation this morning saying, we've got to all grow in this area and we can grow deeper and deeper and deeper. So first, what if my neighbor was my neighbor? Second, what if my neighbor might simply be someone whose need I see, whose need I can do something about? Thirdly, what if my neighbor might be my enemy? What if my neighbor was someone that I don't get along with? In fact, if we want to be precise with the parable of the Good Samaritan, the teaching of this parable is often missed to us. The teaching and the principle of the parable is not the neighbor is not the guy who is in need. The neighbor, Jesus says, is the guy that stopped to help the guy in need. That's the neighbor. And Jesus told the story to illustrate that while the priests and the Levite would go by the guy that had an obvious need, the Samaritan stopped. And the Samaritan was the least likely candidate to do anything for this guy. This guy being a Jew. This guy would want nothing to do with the Samaritan, and the Samaritan would want nothing to do with this man. But this man, the Samaritan, stopped and he reached out and he bandaged the man and he took him to a place where he could get healing power he, or healing rest. In his life, and he even paid for it and, and said that he would pay the rest if, if there was needed the next time he was coming through town. Jesus lavished into this story the remarkable, unmistakable, and unexplainable reality of someone that would love someone even though they were at odds with them. That's who a neighbor is. So, what if your neighbor was your enemy? What if your neighbor was the person who didn't get along with you? And maybe there's someone in your life today that, that the Holy Spirit would just kind of nudge you to say that, you know, you've been at odds with this person. You've been, you know, uh, denying them. You've been punishing them. You've been withholding from them. And, and maybe the Holy Spirit would just say, you know, that's your, that's your ministry right there. Look for ways to bless. Look for ways to encourage. Look for ways to give. Look for ways to support. What a difference it would make. You want to tell someone about the gospel? Jesus said, why don't you show them the gospel? Because in showing them the gospel, the telling will make much more sense. They identify, our good deeds identify us as followers of Christ. They directly apply the second greatest commandment. Thirdly, our good deeds are what God both designed and prepared for us to do. Our good deeds are what God both designed and prepared for us to do. Every time I read Ephesians 2.10, it reminds me that I was made for this. Let's read this out loud together. We'll put it on the screen. This is Ephesians 2.10. Are you ready? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is a beautiful verse. Did you see we are... God's workmanship. The word in the Greek there means masterpiece or piece of art. You ever think of yourself that way? You're God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of, for the intention of, doing good works. Watch this. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's as if when we go out into our day... God is saying, I hope my children see the things that I have put on a tee for them to take a swing at. Not hard, not rocket science, but just ways to demonstrate the simple love of God. Just look for those opportunities. I think so often because of our strong doctrinal stance, because we believe that works do not save and they don't and that's a very strong doctrine in fact in the context of Ephesians 2 8 and 9 it is by grace you have been saved through faith not as a matter of works so that no one can boast. The beautiful message of the gospel is that I bring no work to merit my salvation. It is the work of Christ alone. This is a cherished doctrine of our faith but because it is a cherished doctrine of our faith some of us shut off at verse 9 and we don't see in verse 10 that God actually created us in Christ Jesus to do good works another plane story I was on a plane coming from the east coast to Salt Lake City a while back and I was sitting next to a gentleman was a wonderful young young man uh, just had a great conversation and I sort of suspected maybe that he had a religious background so we started walking down that road a little bit. Come to find out he was uh, in the Mormon church, the Church of, of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And he was actually, the more we talked, I learned that he was sort of a, an up upper leadership guy in, in, the, in that church. And so we talked and, and I had a feeling because we were flying into Salt Lake, there might have been others of that faith persuasion, and the more we talked, the more I l- discovered that was true because the conversations around us stopped and tuned into us, <laughs> and I confessed to him that I was a pastor in a local church, and we opened up a pretty uh, engaging dialogue about the differences of what we believe as Christ followers and what the Church of the Latter-day Saints believe. And he said to me something that I will never forget. He looked at me with a passion in his eyes and he said, the problem with you so-called Christians is he says, you guys don't believe that works are important. I mean, that's a matter of fact. You guys don't believe that works are important. And I'm thinking, wow, what a violation. I think works are really important. And so I let him just continue to vent. And he said, you know, every Christian I meet, it's we're saved by grace. And and so works don't matter. And so I see people in my neighborhood, and he's talking about Christians, people in my neighborhood, people that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ who are not Latter-day Saints. And they they don't raise a finger for people. They don't help people. They don't give to people. They don't raise their families with the desire to serve and support people. And, man, he was just pretty lit up about that. And so I, I acknowledge, I said, Sir, I, I, I would have to agree that there are people who name the name of Christ who, who are, are not uh, uh, generous in their works. I said, The fault of that is because we are so convinced as followers of Christ that our works cannot save. And I had an opportunity to say a little bit about what I believed about a system that believed that works was the thing that saved and that that was the thing motivating a person to do things. In order to somehow merit their their credibility before God. And maybe, and I trust the Holy Spirit used it, it was done in humility. I share with him that the problem with the church, one of the problems with the, the doctrine of the Church of Latter-day Saints, is that you weight everything on your merit and not on the merit of Christ and what he did. And whether God used that is, I don't know. Maybe God wanted someone else to hear that. Maybe God just wanted me to be reminded that sometimes the perception of people outside our faith tradition that believes that that grace is what saves us and grace alone is that we take such a casual view of works that what we are perceived as in our community is that works don't matter. We don't have to be good. Jesus was good for us. And that is a misnomer, and I think some of us this morning need a, a little tweak in our view Because right here in Ephesians 2.10, Paul makes it crystal clear that Jesus created us. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So our works follow true salvation. They don't make true salvation. Is that clear with everybody? Our works follow. Our works should be the result of a genuine faith in Jesus should be a life filled with good works. We should be so zealous, we should be putting our Mormon friends to shame with the works of our lives. Not because we're trying to earn merit to God, but because we believe that Christ made us for it. We are living in our skin. We are in a place where we're in the sweet spot when we're doing good for others. Because this is what God made us to do. We do good works that he prepared in advance. So, and I love that little phrase, that he prepared in advance for us to do. You know, God's already prepared some things. All we need to do is discover them. So there's all kinds of places at your work, in your neighborhood, just look around. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me some places where I can put some loving touch and do some good for you. And you'll have no trouble seeing those things. The question will be whether you'll do anything about it. Whether you'll take that risk, whether you'll knock on that door, hey, I recognized a need, can I help? Can I offer some help? Can I bring some support? Or just do it and say, use it if you want to. I'm touched by people in our church who just have that beautiful gift of showing up and and giving support and loving on people and doing things that are not asked of them to do, but they just do it because they want to be a witness for Christ. And it just blesses my heart and it blesses the testimony of this church Because this is what God made us to be. So try to to go out into every day with this kind of mindset. Like 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And lastly, the fourth reason why we should show before we tell is because our good deeds lay the groundwork for the good words of the gospel. Our good deeds lay the the groundwork for the good words of the gospel. Remember in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, we'll put it on the screen, you remember this. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our good deeds, Jesus says, is what lays the groundwork. That they might see your good deeds. Remember at the start of the sermon we quoted 1 Peter 2.12 Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds. This is the same language. Peter's using the same language as Jesus. Because people that we try to reach with the gospel are going to find fault among us because they don't want to bow their heart to a sovereign God that wants to lay claim on every part of their lives. And so they're gonna accuse us wrongly and they're gonna just accuse us blindly because they don't want this Jesus. The reality is, however, is that when they see the love of Jesus, this is what God uses to draw those whom he's calling to salvation to himself. We forget this. This is the music of the gospel. This is in John six forty four 44, when, when Jesus says, no one can come to the Father lest the Father draw him. It comes, the drawing happens as we love people, as we do good works, as we share our lives, as we bring the music of the gospel to people's hearts. And so I I just challenge our congregation this morning. Think about the ways we can serve. Think about the ways we can serve in our community. I I mean, we can do things as simple as giving blood. We can work at a soup kitchen. We can volunteer time at a food bank. We can support ministries like Cross Streets. We can go into Oakland and support ministries like City Team, which recently we've begun a partnership, which is a beautiful partnership of helping people that are coming off drugs. You can wash dishes. You can build into the fabric of your life a service mentality. So the question I'm asking is, where is this in our lives individually? We at Neighborhood Church say our process is worship, community, and service, And so often we define service as the things that we do for us in this ministry for our needs. And that's part of it, but I think that that's really the smaller part of it. The service piece should be that every one of us give volunteer time, give time out of our day, out of our week, out of our month, concentrated for the needs of others, that we might share the good works that God has created for us to do. And just what would happen if in this community of faith we all were dispatched with a mindset of I'm going to make a difference in my neighborhood, I'm going to make a difference in my community because I'm going to give my time to something outside of my interest for the good of somebody else. What would happen? I think we would be blown away by what would happen. I think the world would stop when I say the world, the world of that person who's hurling accusation. The person that says all you Christians are just against this and this and this and this and you know what? We're going to still be against a lot of stuff. But we will turn the impression when we say and yet I will love you and meet the need that you have in your life that I can address right now? What would happen? Can we pray together this morning that God would give us not just eyes to see, but a will to respond to the needs we see around us? Pray for your pastor this way. Pray for our pastoral staff. Pray for every person that's sitting around you. And there may be somebody here right now that has come to this service that realizes, wow, all of a sudden I get it. This person that's been loving me, this person that's been reaching out to me, this person that's been giving something for me to be able to get my life back on track or at this particular moment in my life, that was Jesus coming to me. And I realize what's missing in my life is a relationship with Christ. That might be somebody here, but I have a feeling that the potential somebodies that I've just described are more out there than they are right here. And I'm gonna pray, and I ask that you pray with me that there would be multiple, exponential numbers of people that will be those somebodies that will have that aha moment, that will realize that the love that they've received and the care that they've received has come from the hand of a loving God that says, I want you to know me. I want you to be in relationship with me. Let's do that. Let's go to the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, boy, Lord, this is, This is such a challenging area, Lord, for all of us, God, for me included. There are people in my neighborhood I know, Lord, that I can be doing more for. Not sticking my neck where I shouldn't stick it, but opportunities to just show loving grace and care and support. And Lord, I know by your Holy Spirit that you're, you're wanting to say that to all of us. Every neighborhood we live in, every place we work, our communities, where there are points of light, Christians that, that share and show the good news of the gospel. So Lord, would you help us as a church? Would you, would you somehow, Lord, break through our selfishness And help us to be others-centered. Let it start even with the people right around us here. It's a good way to practice every Sunday. How can I meet someone's need? But Lord, we only spend an hour or two here. We spend 168 hours a week somewhere else. And so Lord, give us courage and wisdom and will, I pray. And Lord, if you brought someone to this service right now that needs a relationship with you, I would just ask that you would right now, right here, bring them to a place where they would say yes. Where they would walk over that line of faith and believe that Jesus, you are the Messiah. Jesus, you are the Savior. Jesus, you have performed all the work that we might have a relationship with the living God. And if that's you, my friend, simply say, yes, Jesus, I hear your voice. Yes, Jesus, come into my heart. Yes, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Begin your work of life in me. And if you're asking him, he will hear your prayer, and he is answering even now. Jesus, let these final moments of this service be a time of drawing near to you and hearing your voice and responding as we feel fit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages, or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.